Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Alan Bradford in Knoxville, Tennessee, and with me is Terry Ishii in Austin, Texas. It's good to be hanging out with you, Terry. Good to be hanging out with you, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> and we say that like the only time we ever hang out is on this podcast. Yeah, and not like all the time, but that's fine. It's all good. But also with us, I'm excited to have with us today is Josh Armstrong, and also here in the Knoxville area, just south of Knoxville in a town called Maryville, Tennessee. Josh and I intersected right shortly after, well, during quarantine, right, Josh? Like kind of everything was starting to wind down. That's when you and I connected. I don't even know who got us connected. Who got us connected, Josh? Oh, man. I don't know either. Uh, Somebody that uh, had a kingdom mindset, I'm sure. Let's say the Lord. We'll say the Lord connected us. Yeah, we'll say Jesus. <laughs> Josh is a pastor at a vineyard church here in uh, Maryville, Tennessee, which again, is just outside of Knoxville. But I'm going to let Josh kind of introduce himself and explain himself and all the stuff that he does. Yeah, so it's great to be with you guys and really appreciate Forge. Uh, and I'm increasingly appreciative of Forge as I dig into who you guys are and what you're doing. Yeah, man, a lot to share, uh, but uh, just to keep it kind of brief, uh, I grew up more or less in the Southeast, both in Tennessee and Kentucky. Uh, I'm a PK, so dad just retired after being a pastor for 40 plus years. And uh, my mom was a teacher in a Christian school. So it, the odds were stacked against me that I would continue to love Jesus. But but here we are. Yeah, I, I had worked several different ministry jobs, got married, ended up uh, and had two kids and ended up going overseas and living on uh, in, in Haiti for about three years. And when we came back, we really felt called to to continue to explore a concept we learned in Haiti. Uh, which is DMM or disciple making movements, which is a real missional buzzword these days. And so we we took some of what we learned in Haiti and, and started working in West Africa with unreached people groups and uh, just really saw the Lord bless a lot of that stuff. And then was challenged just a few years ago by another vineyard guy uh, and challenged in that, hey, man, it's really cool what's happening around the world, but what's happening where you're currently at in East Tennessee? And so really, um, over the last few years, have dug into the concepts of disciple-making movements in like the North American context and really uh, tried, failed, tried, failed. COVID hit and uh, was working in a church. I'm still working in that church, but really felt called to just to try some new expressions. And so just, just this last year, we started something called Trellis, which is kind of this network of networks of missionaries, micro churches, missional expressions. And it's just evolving, man, at a rapid pace as to what exactly it is. But we know uh, at its essence, we're, we're wanting to see disciple making movements launched in all 34 counties of East Tennessee. And so we're mobilizing missionaries, indigenous missionaries to, to do that stuff. And it's it's been fun. So that's where we're at now. That's awesome. So here, I've heard Josh say this this story a couple of different times. And in fact, um, Josh just recently was a part of, what is it called? The, the Expo Ventures and shared the story. Is that what it's called? Exponential Ventures. So Terry and I went out there. We were in, you know out in Austin and got to hear him give this pitch. But he left out one key piece. Who was it that challenged you to think about DMM movements here in East Tennessee? Great. Uh, the guy's name was, drum roll please, uh, Bubba Justice. So, and I'm not making this up. You know what I mean? Like some people just say things. This is a, this is a real name. He's from, uh, he's from Alabama. If that helps you make any sense. And he might actually listen to this. Bubba's, Bubba is the kind of guy that would listen to a Forge podcast. So Bubba, love you, man. If you're listening. I desperately want to meet this guy. Like I just do. First off, if you're going to go by Bubba, stick with Bubba. I need to meet you, especially if you're from Alabama. I mean, I'm here in Tennessee. It's a big rivalry, but 
I, I got to meet this guy and I'm excited because that was a great question, man. He's like, yeah, this is, that's all great what you're doing, but it is definitely, uh, Bubba, you have launched a movement here in Tennessee. So the Trellis Network, it's been, he's been growing it. Why don't you give us a little bit more about kind of the vision, kind of what you're hoping for? I mean, you kind of give us the big picture, but what is that actually looking like? Yeah, um, man. We're, so we, we've just really been exploring like all the people that are trying to do some version of this in North America, just eating up as much stuff as we can get while also kind of leaning on some of our experience overseas and trying to kind of marry marry what we're seeing both overseas and places like West Africa and India with what it would look like to contextualize that kind of concept here in North America. And so where we're currently at, we, we really would like to see at least one, what we would call a hub, one hub in each of the 34 counties of East Tennessee. And those hubs kind of operate like uh, mission sending organizations. So just like some mission sending organization would raise up missionaries, mobilize them, train them, resource them, uh, all those things in order to send them to, to Timbuktu or wherever. We want to do that for local uh, everyday disciples of Jesus that are indigenous leaders in their local context. And so, you know, we, we think in terms of silos, specifically silos like uh, regional areas or locations or affinity groups or social justice focuses. And we say, man, what would it look like to have two, 10, however many missionaries that are focusing in, in, in those areas? And so like my, my personal context is my neighborhood. It's, it's regional, it's geographical, it's uh, the street we live on, which is 14 houses and the street right above us, which tees with our street uh, called Crest road and so that's kind of our parish and we're raising up missionaries to identify their their parish if you will and and look to good news that parish look to bring the holistic good news of jesus kingdom come in their context you know one of the one of the things i love about doing this podcast is that we we get the chance to speak with guys like yourself josh who uh, the story's not done. I mean, we've we've like we've had Brian uh, Sanders on, who, not to say that Tampa Underground is done, but they have a significant story to tell, and so we've told that story. But far more often, we have guys like you who you're still kind of in the middle of it. This story, it's this is almost like chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. There's still a lot of chapters of trellis to be told, which I, to me is just inspiring. I, I love hearing from, from guys like you. And I know a lot of people that listen uh, are inspired by guys like yourself. And and I'm just kind of curious, you know, from, from a listener's standpoint, man, how are you, like, how are you going about this? Like, how are you, like, what is the genesis of this look like? How are you connecting with people? How are you networking? What does that look like for you just in a real tangible way for someone who might be listening and say, hey, how, how would I maybe start a network? What does chapter one look like for me? Oh, man, loaded question. Uh, I think one very quick answer that I would say before anything else is, you know, if you want to see a movement of God, at whatever that might look like, and we've seen lots of them down through history, I just really believe every great movement of God starts with a movement of prayer. And so, um, but not necessarily just some Joe Schmo in a cave, you know, saying, Jesus, you know, bring me the, the masses or, or whatever, but rather raising up a, a team of people to, if they do nothing else, begin to intentionally, systematically pray together for the kingdom to come in the place that God's calling them to. And so early on with Trellis, we, we, we gathered in, in, in small rooms and just started praying and seeking God's face and, and, and asking him, you know, what is the vision? Help us create it. 
and, and downloading from the Holy Spirit what that vision uh, started to be and become and, and what that skeleton of the vision looked like. I would also say, man, uh, that, that old African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so developing teams, and, and that doesn't mean the most strategic, mature Christian leaders that you can find, but rather, who are those that are hungry? Who are those uh, missionary orphans, if you will, that that maybe they even have a church home, but, but they don't necessarily have tracks to run on in terms of how do I do this stuff outside of the four walls of a building? And so for me personally, you, you asked about the Genesis, I just went out and found quite a few existing friends that I knew of that, that really fit that description. They were missionary orphans. They were willing to get after it in prayer and, uh, and just started getting in rooms with them. And then just have since then, man, it's, that's, that's continued just to, to uh, pick up momentum, to gain momentum. We found so many people that say, I love the church, but I know there's something more. Like I know there's, there's some other way to connect beyond the four walls of my church building and, and beyond just having to do whatever my pastor says, not that we don't believe in spiritual authority and those things. Yeah. So I think a lot of people just needed permission and trellis has been one of several things that are happening right now that are, that are just saying, man, you can do this. You can do all the stuff that Jesus designed you to do. And, but it's helping them network together, you know, to, to know that they're not alone. And so one of the beautiful things about that is starting with prayer and everything like that, you were still building this thing and it took off. So watching it from the outside, I know, I mean, you started kind of in the uh, Knox County area where Knoxville is and Blount County area where you are. And then Blount and Knox County, all of a sudden, you've already got some teams there. But then it also kind of expanded beyond that, correct? Yeah. So like I said, you know, our, our long-term goal or one of our long-term goals is there are roughly about 2.4 million people in, uh, in, in East Tennessee. If you look at, you know, some people would say East Tennessee consists of 34 to 36 counties. It's why we have to have decentralized leadership. Uh, why hubs have to form and be connected to other hubs and other counties, but indigenous leadership has to form in those areas. And so now, you know, we've got this thing going in, in Knoxville, still trying to figure a lot of stuff out, but some beautiful things are happening. Got another hub that kind of launched in Blount County, which is just south of Knoxville. And then we had this, uh, this vision of, hey, how are we going to get those 34 hubs? How is this going to multiply out? And so we really felt like the if you look at a map of East Tennessee, the, the Northeast uh, has what's called the Tri-Cities area, which is Bristol, Johnson City, and Kingsport. And we thought that was a really strategic place to uh, help start a hub. And so the Knoxville team uh, is still working with some folks up there, but a hub is forming up in that area. And then the other really strategic place that we thought hubs could be launched out of was the, the greater Chattanooga area. And we're currently working with some folks down there. And so kind of three areas, the north, the, the central, and southern parts of East Tennessee in order to slowly, on God's timing, look to launch new hubs that will form more missionaries, missional expressions, and microchurches. You're using the word hub. Can you, for our listeners, can you can you unpack that for us? So, you know, you're in you're in Chattanooga or you're in the Tri-Cities area. You, you, you kind of engage Trellis at that hub level. What does that look like? What what can they expect? How are you guys kind of organizing that and using that to mobilize people? I, I can answer your question, I think, pretty articulately, but I will preface it by saying that what I'm about to describe as far as what we'd like to see with the hub, we have not realized yet. I mean, we're brand new. To give everybody some perspective, we're, we're doing this right now in July. We just kind of launched this thing in January. And even then, like, didn't have a clue what we were doing. Still don't. <laughs> 
as far as the aspirational hub that we'd like to see and, and, and um, the hubs all across East Tennessee, again, I said this before, we'd like to see them function something like a mission sending and equipping organization. And so let's say that you had somewhere between, I don't know, five to seven people that were on a hub. A hub is not, a, it's not a physical location, although they could have that. It is kind of this apostolic team of people that have come together in, or, in order to form equipping teams. And so an example in Knoxville would be if we had five to seven people, which we do, and we identify what their gifts, their desires, and their skill sets are in order to meet the needs of missionaries and microchurches in that county, then they would form equipping teams, things such as startup coaching, ongoing coaching, family ministry, you know, maybe youth and citywide youth initiatives. Uh, financial needs, all of these kinds of things. And, and whatever whatever the equipping teams that need to exist in that county, the hub would uh, consist of an apostolic team of people that would help drive those teams and thus support the work that's happening in that county. So that's kind of what we're envisioning. There's a lot more to it than that, but hopefully that gives people kind of a an idea of what we mean when we say hub. Are you guys actively creating? Are you guys like recruiting and training to, to start missional communities, micro churches as well? Yeah, I mean, well, to answer that, let me go back to kind of how we're how we have put hubs together and, and what we're learning about putting hubs together. Because uh, you know, if if somebody in say Ohio, wherever in Ohio was listening to this, oh, we want to do this in Northeast Ohio. Uh, I would say, man, if you're putting a hub together. Uh, and, and you have, you know, you kind of get the general idea of what that could look like. Um, one of the mistakes we made early on, and God is redeeming this, is we just took anybody that was excited about doing it and said, oh, why don't you come and be on this potential startup hub, rather than say, what are the equipping teams that need to exist to serve this county? And how do we pray and then find the right people to meet those needs? So we're, we're, we're course correcting that now, but it's uh, been a little bit of a headache along the way. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious, uh, are you guys kind of identifying and finding already existing missionaries? Or are you guys training up people who are like, hey, I, I don't really have anything going, but I'm definitely interested in doing something. I, I, I maybe maybe have the beginnings of a calling uh, to identify and, and kind of be pulled out of myself. Uh, are you guys helping people walk walk through that journey as well? Yeah, I would say both. But on the front end, since we're just putting this whole thing together and it's it's new, it's a lot more of people that are already really hungry and excited to live as missionaries. Whereas what we really see microchurches and missional expressions that will hopefully, God willing, arise, we see those as several things, but but largely as breeding grounds, if you will, for new missionaries, whether they realize it or not. We're not just trying to be the next sexy show in town where we take, you know, church people that are just mad at traditional models of church, not at all, but rather uh, reach out to the unchurched and de-churched, the, the nuns and duns, or however you want to phrase it, in order to uh, say, hey, man, look, there's there, there are other options. Uh, maybe you got burnt out in church, or maybe you're turned off by some of the things that you've seen, no problem. But don't just like come as you are. Uh, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Start to live as a missionary. And that way we can hopefully see this multiplicative thing come out of uh, the grassroots, you know, kind of kind of thing that that things that are planted, uh, the micro churches and the missional expressions. So on the startup end, yeah, we're definitely reaching out to people that are already either already living kind of like missionaries or have a desire to, but we hope to, to raise up some that are maybe unchurched or not even followers of, of Jesus in the long term. 
That's great, man. And again, it's it's beautiful to watch because as you are building it, you're still flying it. Like the thing is going and you are in the process of building it as you go and, and keeping it as nimble and as flexible as it needs to be, but with with a pretty strong vision of where where uh, God is calling everyone. And it's exciting to watch. It's exciting to be a part of. Uh, hey, if people wanted to know more about Trellis, what's the best way to either get a hold of you to, to, to just say, hey, I just want to, I'm going to pick your brain about this thing. Yeah, man, shoot me an email, uh, honestly, or you can look me up on i don't know some i'm sure i'm on some social media stuff <laughs> okay i hardly ever get on there anymore man it kind of makes me sick getting on there these days so yeah my email uh is joshua arm three the number three at gmail.com i've got a few emails but that's like the personal one that just shoot me i don't have an official trellis one man we're pretty low-key so yeah so yeah. joshua arm three at gmail.com yep you've it. just you've just sent it out into the interweb so there it is yeah, I mean, yeah that's some, awesome. I'm going to get some shady stuff coming my way. <laughs> we'll make sure. Well, that's great. Well, hey, well, one of the things we've been doing this season is we've been uh, kind of posing this question to people, and we're going to ask you, and it's this idea of as we're coming out of COVID, we're coming out of quarantine, at least we hope we are, unless there's some sort of fourth, fifth wave, whatever we're in. I have no idea anymore. But it feels like things are kind of headed back to something. I, I don't want to say normal, but it's heading back towards something. What are the questions the church should be asking? Um, and so we've been asking people, hey, what do you feel like the, the questions the church should be asking now? And so we're going to pose that question to you, man. It's a loaded question. A couple things have come to mind, and I'm going to try to frame them up as questions because they're things I've been chewing on a lot uh, as we're, as you said, kind of coming out of this. Um, but one of them is I think a, a church should ask some version of this question. How do we function at, at our most base level? And, what, and, and so here's what I mean by that. I've been chewing a lot on something that the founder of the vineyard, so I come from the vineyard church tribe. Uh, that's my background. The guy that founded that was a guy named John Wimber, a really fascinating dude. And when he talked about church, and I, I heard this years ago, just it, it recently came back up to mind. But when, when he talked about church, he thought of it, a healthy church functioning in four major ways. So functioning, I think he said, as a school, as a family, as a hospital, and as an army. And so I, I say all that to help frame up this question. I think the church in the West or the church in North America has paid a lot of attention to church as hospital. So it's a place where people can come that are broken and messed up. And, they, and that's great. And, they, and, and, you know, and you look to people primarily to like super pastor types to hopefully fix you or fix your kids or whatever. I'm not bashing any of that, but a lot of times churches come most become mostly that along the way or, or, or a school, you know, and then, so there's lots of tribes in North America that are, and it's very knowledge based. And so we're going to come, we're going to learn all this stuff and maybe we'll take what's in our head and, and cast it into the community Monday through Saturday, or, you know, we're, we're family. So that's big time lingo and it's beautiful. It's biblical. It's beautiful. But this idea of, Oh, we're, we're, you know, come, you're going to, you're going to find your, your people here, be a part of our family, very community driven. And that's good. My thing that I've seen in North America, not, not always, I know this is a stereotype is that we really don't do a good job of army. We don't mobilize our people to go out and bless the neighborhoods, the workplaces, the schools that we're in. We talk a lot about it, but we haven't actively both mobilized people and held their feet to the fire um, to be obedient to the, the stuff Jesus said to do. And so there's this like, there's this dormant army 
I mean, literally thousands and thousands of people across North America that either just need permission or language, uh, tools, resources to see themselves as an army. And I think we've gotten really out of whack. We've, we've really adopted three of those four things. You know, we've adopted school and hospital and family. So I would just ask the church in North America, what at your base level, what are you, what is the most important? Because I'll, I'll just say one more thing about that and I'll shut up. I can talk about this forever. As I think about those analogies, I think, oh, an army has medic units, right? And they're necessary. You know, a, a, you need to go to training. You need to go to some kind of school or boot camp or whatever you want to call it. And you want to be a part of something. You want to be a part of a family. But at the end of the day, an army is not, you, you can't go to an army. You can go to a hospital. You can go to a school. You can't go to an army. You are the army. You know what I'm saying? And so these are just things that I've been thinking about. And I think God is using COVID to awaken a dormant army. That's really good, man. Uh, it makes me think of one of the things that we talk about in Forge a lot, which is the idea of organizing principle. So we talk about there's probably only a few things a church does well. We usually just say worship, mission, community, and discipleship. That's probably the things a church does pretty well. And you could probably fit that those four under, you know, I haven't sat down and thought through Wembers four and that four, but the idea is like, what is the organizing principle? So why do you do what you do? And a lot of times when people say, hey, we're going to, let's say, Josh, you're going to go plant a church. Most people think you're planting a gathering that meets Sunday at 1030, or they're thinking about the church down the street. So worship, the organizing principle really becomes worship, right? I love it because what we talk about is the organizing principle. What if it's mission, the mobilization, the actual going out there? You, you'll you get community. You know, how did Jesus... How did Jesus disciple people? It was on mission. That's how he did it. You know, it makes worship for me more important as I'm I'm going out there and I'm on mission. So I love that. I love that 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 idea. Yeah, I, I it's so funny when you were when you earlier you'd mentioned uh, Wimbers four and and I my initial thought was like oh no not army please <laughs> because it's it's such a it, 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 I don't know it's it's such a low like you're using the word loaded question it's just such a loaded imagery. Uh, when we think army, but as you began talking and you're explaining it, it's like, oh, you totally got me. I'm in. I'm all in on this because one of the things that's that that's beautiful about the army uh, is it's the deployment piece, right? And that's where the church has stunted its its growth. Is we do not know how to deploy God's people. Uh, and so when you, when, if anyone's listening and even for myself, the first time I heard it, I was like, oh no, not another onward Christian soldier kind of thing. And that's the last thing that we need, but no, it's this idea that God's people is a force. We are a force of sorts and we, we, we can be deployed. And, and, and I think you're, you're dead on one of the things that we said in forge early on is the one of the things that forge provides is language and license for people to be deployed for people to be mobilized that's that's the thing that's the barrier that we often saw is that there are people who are willing to do it but they had no language for it and they needed license they needed permission they needed to say hey you are the sent one of jesus you have permission to go do this here's some language here's how you do it and what what we have found is we've seen people freed up where they have new life in the church. They're, they've always had life in Christ. They've, they've never had that issue. But this idea of how they are a part of this family, this army, they, 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 to use your language, man, I think it's really powerful. I think it's. I think you have to do some, some navigating some language because of our culture. But that idea of a force of people sent 
to be deployed. Oh, that's beautiful, man. I love that. Yeah. And, and Terry, I had the same kind of reaction as well. When I, when I first started hearing, I was like, Oh, I don't, we don't need more of that. But when I really started to think about it in terms of, are we being mobilized to proselytize mm. or are we being mobilized to bless? Yes. Huge. Then, I mean, I, dude, I got no problem being a part of an army of blessing. That's, yes. that's just the existence of kingdom come that exists to bless people around us instead of telling people, you know, you got to believe this to get to heaven and all this kind of stuff, you know? Oh yeah, dude. I, I grew up uh, as a youth minister in the late nineties. I mean, early two thousands. And I don't know if it was in your guys' part of the world, but all that army fire up proselytizing, I'm not going to name names of certain things, but it just, one, it creeped me out, weirded me out. And I stayed as far away as I could from it. And I grew up a military brat. Like I grew up in the military culture. My dad was, you know, special forces, ranger school, colonel in the army, hoorah, all that. But still adding that to, you know, the Christian world, it was like, I don't know what I think about all this. And it scared me. Right. And so I, I kind of had some of the same reactions. But you're right, Josh. It is. If It's why are you being mobilized? You know, why are you being what are you being deployed to? And it's a it's a it's a beautiful analogy. Once you unpack it. The, the thing that I that was helpful, even as you're unpacking it, is the idea of and again, it goes back to the organizing principle. The army has, every, you get, if you choose to be an army, if you're a planter, you're a pastor and say, Hey, I'm going to organize our organization to be a force, to be an army. You're going to get learning. You're going to get family and you're going to get hospitals. You're going to, people are going to be cared for because you can't be, you can't, you can't be deployed. You can't deploy people if you're not taking care of them. You can't do it if they don't know how to do it. Right. And so it's that it's, again, we, we have no silver bullet, but man, this is the closest thing that we have is when we can organize around mission. It just seems like everything falls into place. I think if I were going to ask the church in North America a question like this, I think it would be another question would be, what are you called to plant or what does reproduction look like for you? And what I and the reason I would ask some version of that question is like even with the vineyard and I love the vineyard and I've been a part of a couple other tribes. I, I grew up in a Baptist tribe and I've been a part of a Methodist tribe. And, and, and so many of these talk a lot about planting churches and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not I'm not here to like discredit that. But um, I'm really interested in two other concepts right now, personally, and with trellis. Uh, one is, you know, Jesus never said to plant churches. He said, make disciples, I'll build my church. So I'm really more interested in the church being systematic and strategic in what does a disciple making culture look like rather than a church planting culture. That's just a personal kind of thing I'm on right now. But even, but the second thing with that is what if a church started asking the question, what would it look like to plant not churches, but movements? That's an interesting question as well. Now, what movements look like? I'm not talking about movements of churches, uh, movements of disciples. Like, and I think if a, if a ch- an existing church were to ask that question and do a deep dive with its leadership into what the Holy Spirit might reveal to them, I just think some interesting stuff could come out of that. So that's the that's the one thing. And I, and one more question, and then I'm I'm done is I don't even know where I heard this. So somebody listening to this podcast may be like, hey, I said that. You stole it. So, I, so to be clear, I didn't come up with this concept, but I, I've been chewing on a phrase recently that I heard called called minimalist megachurch. 
And I don't even know who created it and what they were trying to get at when they used that. But I've been actually even praying into what does that mean? Because um, I've, I've been thinking a lot, you know, about small churches, micro churches, the beautiful expressions of micro versus mega. In fact, to be very transparent, I've kind of been turned off the last few years of my life with concepts like mega church. That's just, I don't know, God needed to heal me of that, I guess. But I really love the idea of a minimalist mega church. So if a, here's another question. If a church was to ask some version of, hey, we want to stay small in ways that are helpful, but we also feel really called to reach our whole county or our whole city or fill in the blank, whatever. But we can't possibly do that. It's, you know, it's, it's too expensive. And the way we train leaders is it takes too long and it's too expensive and on and on and on down. So what would it look like to think about being a mega church just because we want to reach so many people, but to do it in a, in a minimalist fashion? You know, minimalism is, is again, a huge buzz, buzzword in our culture right now. What, what does that mean for the church? How can we streamline what we're doing? And so I think with traditional churches, it, it looks a lot like, you know, exploring not just telling your leaders how you have to be bivocational, but helping them get there and, and teaching and training in ways and, and, and best business practice. And it looks like, why do we need this kind of building? And why do we need this light show? And I'll, I'll start ranting if I go into that too much. But yeah, man, I just, uh, I think those are interesting things I've been chewing on these days. Yeah, Josh, I had never heard of that that concept, the minimalist megachurch. It's to me, it's incredibly intriguing because I do feel like post quarantine, post COVID, e- even before quarantine and COVID, let's just say culturally, the church was asking a lot of questions. At least I think healthy churches were asking a lot of questions about who they are and how they're structured and about really their impact. What we've noticed, and I think Brad Briscoe actually said this at one point, but he said most people enter into the conversation, the missional incarnational conversation through a crisis of influence or through a crisis of mission. So the crisis of influence is like, hey, the church isn't isn't influential anymore what's going on. And so they start to think through, oh, well, we need to be on mission or it's just a crisis of like, oh, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, how, how do I actually uh, do this? And I think that the church asking that question and church leaders asking that question because the mega church was born out of the, the church growth movement. And it really, it really is the, the epitome of, and hear this the right way. I love, I love the church in all its forms, but it's like the, um, epitome i would say of the of the consumer mentality like how can we as the church be all things to you from the time you're born till the time you die right Um, let's just be everything to you let's every program everything you'll need you know emotionally physically mentally i mean all of the different stuff right that's kind of the idea behind it Uh, but the unfortunate part about that is you know you built it on consumers so it's just about you know consuming right but the idea of a minimalist uh, megachurch is the idea of like, why are we here? Going back to the idea of organizing principle. If you have a megachurch, which there's beauty in the megachurch, the megachurch, as you said, Josh, can do things that say a smaller church just can't do, you know, like like just can't because of the sheer force of people, the sheer force of funds, even just all the different things, the, the, the way it can mobilize gifts and talents and all those things. And if you could make that shift towards let's be like a consumer culture to a mobilizing culture, that's beautiful. I don't know if that's what it means to be a minimal, minimalist megachurch, <laughs> but in my head, that's where I went. 
Yeah, I mean, like even even sitting here thinking is like, how does this? Well, I have to define. I know mega church. I can define that all day, and then it's like, okay, minimalist. How do you define that? And you know, I'm an idiot, so I had to like look up definition and thesaurus and like what are synonyms for the word. And like some of the words that come is like unpretentious, modest, you know, forthright, uh, naked, bare. And so to me, it's like, okay, can can one can a mega church achieve that? And and I want to I want to I want to be a believer. I want to say, yeah, I, I think it's possible. And I think it's exactly what Bradford, what you hit on is there has to be something that is simple that orients the whole thing. And I, I you know, we're we're Hershey people, right? I mean, Alan Hirsch is, you know, he's 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 the godfather of the whole movement for us. And so Alan sold out on the idea that. Jesus is Lord is the simple idea. It's the sneezable idea that movements can be birthed on. And so is it possible to create a mega church around an idea like Jesus is Lord and then just let it go and see kind of a wildfire happen? I, I think it's possible. I think in, in, in our setting, I think we have a hard time because when we think mega, we think you you draw in the ranks and it's about I'm belonging to something specific. I mean, you could make a, an argument for, you know, church planting uh, movements in the East that you could say, uh, could they technically be mega where you have, you know, someone who as an end result of the work, they're having tens and thousands of people in hundreds of churches that yeah, it's all one one kind of stream coming out of. Of course, that that that's a minimalist megachurch. Yeah, yeah. Just a couple of things that that it's making me think about because I'm like you guys. I I love this concept. I have no clue what it means. I I have some ideas. Um, a couple of things are. I think it looks probably like it looks somewhat decentralized in ways that can help it go beyond buildings that can help it go beyond superstar ministry leader culture type stuff that can go beyond money restrictions and, and lots more like that. And, but the other thing that makes me think about, and this is one that this might be a mic drop moment. It might not, it might fall flat. I think with what we typically think with, with things like my uh, mega church, excuse me, that turns some people off is that a lot of them, not all of them are pretty heavy and thick with, uh, attractional based stuff with uh, one of you guys said consumerism, these kinds of things. And so what's interesting about that are the, the very things that are bringing people to those mega churches are the same things that are turning thousands and even millions of Americans away from church because they see the, the phoniness and the hypocrisy and the, and the lack of how Jesus lived his life in that. Again, I, I say that with all due respect to all forms of church, but if you had a, so, so there's not anything necessarily wrong with the concept of mega church unless mega church is directly uh, tied to attractional consumeristic stuff. But if it's a minimalist mega church, if it's, oh man, how, how do we mobilize the masses to see kingdom come? Then it's a different ball game, and so you talked about stuff happening in, in in China and in India, and what we've been a part of in West Africa. This is what we're seeing. I mean, 
most people that are involved with some of these movements would never know they're a part of this first generation thing that was started in this particular city. But from that, there are thousands of people that are involved in these types of operations. What would that look like in North America? That's the million dollar question, man. And so with Trellis, that's what we're exploring. It's like, how do we do that? That's awesome, man. I love that. That's so good. All right, uh, Josh. So, dude, thank you for being on the podcast today. I um, mean, this has just been amazing. I love your questions. I think more than any, I mean, we've had some guys drop some really good questions, but you're a minimalist a mega church, dude. You, that's 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 something to really sit and ponder on. That's that's strong stuff, dude. So, thank you for sharing that, and thank you for sharing your story. Uh, well, man, we've been ending uh, season three of the podcast with a, a segment we're calling Five Quick Questions, and so I'm just gonna fire hose you five questions. Just give me your gut response. You don't have to go too deep, and um, but yeah. So, you ready for that? Good. All right, man. All right. So, question number one: What have you been reading? Uh, several things. Um, so what I'm, I'm reading in the immediate is I'm looking over my, my stand beside my chair here. I got a work by Wendell Berry of poetry called a timbered choir. Nice. Going back and reading for whom the bell tolls because I'm a Hemingway junkie. Nice. And I'm reading a book on leadership from a friend of mine named Rick Mann. Okay. And I'm also reading the Bible. Oh, dude, you're the first person to ever mention that. So, man, good for you. Yeah. Dude, thank you. It's finally we had someone in here actually reads the scriptures, man. I, I try to always combine a little pleasure reading with uh, with uh, serious stuff. And so. Well, it's funny because I think you're also the first person to mention a work of fiction. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think anyone has. I always have a novel going at yeah, any time. That's awesome. Yeah. Good. It's, it just means you're well-rounded. And the rest of us are not. So we're, we're just odd. Yeah. All right. Question number two. Uh, what have you been watching? Oh, a lot of judgment coming here. Come on, bring it. Very violent. Uh, been going back and watching Peaky Blinders, man. That's my jam. Right on, man. You know, I've never seen that. It's it's one of those that's been in my Netflix queue for like five years, like since the show's been out. And I'm like, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. And I've just never watched it. And so Yeah. It makes me pray more because I watch it and then I feel this like weird Baptist guilt from my past. And so there you go. I have to pray a lot more. So that's, I watch it for my own sanctification. There you go, man. Love it. Question number three, man, what's the funniest, what's the funniest story from quarantine over the last year or something cool that has happened uh, during the last year during quarantine? We've been hanging out with our neighbors a lot more, which has led to, it's not really funny. It's just kind of awful, but led to multiple dog bites of children in my neighborhood. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So like my son was the latest victim of this one dog this last week. Oh. He's already bit another kid. And so we had to report it. And oh gosh, you know, we're trying to reach out to our neighbors. It's not great when you have to like call for their dog to be put down. So <laughs> That's awful. Man. Laughing, That's one thing. But, yeah. There's, there's something funny about yeah. just, you always pray that everything's good, but a little, a little. What was, what was so sad about it is my son, he bit my eight year old son and my son loves dogs. And so, he was like in pain and everything. And I mean, immediately he starts crying. And I was like, oh man, are you hurting that bad? He's like, dad, what are they going to do to the dog? Are they going to uh, the dog <laughs> So it was like really sweet and heartbreaking at the same time. Oh gosh. Yeah. Man, quarantine. We've had, those were, the response to that question has been all over the map. And so <laughs> that's good, man. Question number four, what, what brings you life right now? What is life giving to you right now? Uh, it's going to sound cliche. It's probably what most of your people you've asked this question have said, but 
I just love hanging out with my wife and kids like so much. Like so good. COVID, COVID, I mean, it's, I don't want to make light of it. It's been awful in so many ways. That's been like the best thing ever. Just more yeah. time with them. And my kids are in such a sweet, sweet stage right now. So that's my honest answer. That's beautiful, man. Love it. Question number five. Uh, what is your favorite thing about Merville or Maryville as it is spelled? But I, I guess in Tennessee, it's Merville. Uh, man, a lot, but I guess the top answer would probably be just proximity to the Smoky Mountains. We're, we're in the foothills or we are the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. And so love to hike, love to get up there in the mountains. It's really beautiful. Those are some old ancient mountains versus the the newer Rockies. Sorry to you young earth folks listening. So. <laughs> All right. You, you oh, went man, there. We got, yeah. of, we got a lot of firsts on this one. First, first uh, apology to young earth people, uh, young creation. Nice. Yeah. Love it. Well, I, it's not been a good podcast unless somebody's been offended, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'll go with that. That's good. I mean, Forge rolls that way anyway. So. All right. Well, Josh, man, dude, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's been enlightening. I love your story. I, I love that it's only like in the, it's only six months old. And so there's so much more that God's going to do through it. So we'll definitely have to have you back in season four to kind of give us some update on, on where you guys are at and what God's been doing. Dude, we're praying for you. We're cheering you on. We're happy to champion you as a friend and, and a partner of, of Forge America. So uh, thank you for listening. Uh, you can always contact us at forgeamerica.com. Uh, or on our social media, Facebook and Twitter. And what's the other one? Instagram. You can check us out there. Thank you guys for listening. And we will see you next time.